0: Stuart Murray, how the hell are you? Uh,
1: very well, thank you.
0: Excellent. Hey, I'm I'm glad I finally got you on here. It's uh, I I, I think I reached out a long time ago. Maybe I didn't, but um.
1: <laughs> I think you did. As it sort of drifted around, you mentioned the idea of uh, perhaps doing an yeah. interview, um, but when you contacted the other day, um, we've done a few interviews recently because we've put out um, a small mini album. Uh, So a few people have been contacting us recently. To uh, So the the time was right, basically.
0: Excellent, excellent. So let's talk about that a little bit. Um, What what little mini album have you recently put out?
1: Right, it's on Detour Records in the UK. It Mm -hmm. it stems from, uh, it was demo recordings we did for Polydor Records in the UK back Mm -hmm. in 1980. And at the end of the day, we didn't get the contract and the, the, the tapes were, were were shelved. And you probably know if you've seen anything about what I do, I do lots of research on the band, etc. I, I, ha- I have a website, um, lots and lots of different dates on it, of things from a diary that we kept, from photographs, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. People have given me information, oh, we saw your band at this place at this date, and have managed to get a really good, um, like key dates information on the website. Anyway, what I didn't have uh, was the dates for the studio's time in, in um, 1980 with Polydor. Mm-hmm. So um, I'm a friend with the, the, the chap who arranged it um, uh, called Dennis Mundy, I don't know if you're aware of Dennis Mundy, he used to look after the jam as one of the, the main bands on Polydor at that time in mm-hmm. England. And um, he'd arranged the recording session. So I, I sent him a message asking him, could he find out uh, what dates were we actually recording down in London? Mm-hmm. Uh, not only did he give me the dates, he, he found out that they were in an archive. Uh, that The original tapes still existed and they were in an archive somewhere in London. So I asked um, Dizzy Holmes, who owns Detour Records, he specialises in finding bands that have uh, been forgotten about, etc. If he could uh, get involved and, and see if he could find them, within about a month, he uh, discovered where the tapes were and managed to obtain them. That's so excellent. the last twelve months, it's been um, he got somebody involved that could uh, work with because it was the two-inch master tapes. We're talking about old-fashioned right. analog. Um, Real to real tapes. Um, he, he had an expert again who could work with that. One of the songs on it hadn't even been um, mixed at all. When we came to listen to this tape, we couldn't. He, we don't even remember writing this particular song.
0: Uh,
1: it's called "Sophisticated Lady." Um, mm-hmm. So we, we uh, to and fro, and we managed to get that mixed. To a standard that we we liked, and the rest just needed balancing, basically. Mm-hmm. And four Records uh, put it out on a twelve-inch vinyl, uh, the end of April this year. Excellent. And it's quite well.
0: And it's only available in the UK, or is it available worldwide?
1: No, it's uh, available across the world through different distributors. I, I know the names of the ones that were in Japan, and as far as I'm aware, they've sold them out. The, there is a distributor in the United States, but I'm not sure of the name off the top of my head, who's okay. distributing them, but they can be, uh, purchased from Detor via the internet, et cetera. I suppose if you contacted Detor, they could tell you who the American distributors were that he's he deals with.
0: Excellent. But, okay. So um, I'll make sure to yeah. link to that down below so that, uh, you know, people can actually, you know, find it and buy it. Yeah. Um, so that's excellent, can man. Be-
1: a link on my facebook page somewhere anyway so uh, right you could get a link off that if uh, you okay. have a look on it
0: perfect man perfect um okay. let, let's let's talk a little bit about the history of the fast cars so right. you had a, a, a your original run was was pretty short right it was like 78 to, to 80 right
1: that's correct yeah yeah okay
0: and at that time you only put out the the one single correct the, the kids just want yes. to dance
1: We had two tracks that were on um, a compilation album called A Manchester Collection. So, some of our very first recordings that we did, most of the recordings we did back in those days were we'd paid for them ourselves, demos. We were only young lads, Mm -hmm. ranging from like 18, 19, 20. We saved, we all had jobs, luckily, which wasn't the case in the UK in those days. So, we used to pay for our own demos in small studios. And one was a, a studio in Rochdale, which is near Manchester, uh, named Cargo. And we, we did a couple of, we did four songs there. And two were put on the Manchester collection, which was, which was an LP that was to promote the Manchester Musicians Collective.
0: Mm-hmm. And that's
1: quite a collectible now. So, that was our first, that was released in 1979, I think, shortly before. That was about the April, May, as the kids just want to dance, or well, later in the year, about October.
0: Mm-hmm. That's, again, that's excellent.
1: We were uh, demo tapes. We, we never had top-quality studio recordings at that time. What we've just put out now was done in a top London studio on a 24-track uh, studio, which we didn't have in the north of England. The maximum you could get up here at the time that we were using were like 8-track or 16-track.
0: Mm-hmm. So
1: um it it really does sound good uh since it was recorded over 40 years ago but we've been really impressed with it the sound of this we're calling it new music but at the end of the day it is 40 years old
0: yeah isn't that a mind um, fuck like 40 years man it's just it's crazy the way that works
1: absolutely absolutely yeah yeah because you look back from 78 and look back 40 years and it's before the war it's just mind-blowing <laughs> and music from you know the 30s 40s or whatever it's not relevant when we were in 1978 79 and we're now 40 years in advance and our music seems to be still relevant um absolutely that's fascinating in itself
0: yeah no it's absolutely absolutely like i my, my kiddo I've, I've recently turned on he, he just turned 20 and uh he listens to, to, you know, the stuff that I, I feed him from, you know, like the late seventies and and he loves it. He's like, Oh my God, this is great. And I think, yeah. I think what it comes down to is there there's a, a rawness and, and an energy that just doesn't exist in, in modern pop music.
1: That's what, that's what I was going to say, because we, we, we were all excited. The previous people, you know, your big rock bands had got big record deals and lots of money, et cetera. And this opportunity created by punk and would never class fast cars has ever been a punk band but we were in the time in that scene where you could make your own music you could get small record labels to take you on as in streets ahead which was part of a record shop in a town outside of manchester Mm -hmm. um before that you had to uh, have been i don't know the the big rock bands with with their big contracts etc etc that you had to be i think very good musicians etc okay we were striving for that we wanted to be the best musicians we could be but mm-hmm. punk rock let you play two chords on a guitar and make a song and record it and then go and, and play it and people come and listen to you and that, that created that raw energy i think
0: definitely definitely
1: it was all about that that
0: scene created
1: that and it's carried forward it's lasted there is still bands that want to play our style of music and they're doing it in the same way as we did 40 years ago. And I find Mm -hmm. that really, really good.
0: Absolutely. And, and, you know, I mean, I I would much rather listen to, to a slightly out of tune, not, not that I'm saying that you guys were out of tune, but I'd much rather listen to a slightly out of tune thing than auto tune any day of the week.
1: Yeah, yeah. And again, everything now is so manufactured. It's down to the people, management, the, the way they're managed, it's all about making money for the managers, I think, really. Mm-hmm. Um and they, they put artists together and for TV programs, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. Ours was nothing like that at all. It was just having fun. Right. As young lads, basically, we we're having fun making being able to write our own songs put them out and people actually come in to listen to you it was just it's just a wonderful time
0: yeah okay so let's talk a little bit about the the well two things one first of all let's go back to the kids just want to dance and, and the the single um i'm actually looking at at uh, your your website right now and the the mis- quote mistake that is on there the uh, uh the gordon smith issue
1: yeah, yeah it's hysterical yeah. to me
0: because when i was when i was you know, doing my research and I saw that and I was like, wait, there are only four members of the band, you know, but yet, the, you know, the back of the single, it appears to show five, you know, five. Yes.
1: Right. Um, we argued at the time, our manager was a university graduate. We didn't go to university or anything. And he thought he was a lot smarter than us. And it, <laughs> it was, uh, hard to say, uh, he thought it, I think he thought it was a bit funny because mm. our, our sound engineer at the time, a lad called Chris Smith, he worked for Gordon Smith Guitars. With both me and Craig Hilton, who was our lead guitarist, both played Gordon Smith Guitars. So it's a local Manchester company. Mm-hmm. So up against Gibsons and Fenders, at the other big American companies that everybody were playing their instruments, we, we thought it'd be great to have a mention on the uh, the single cover. That we actually played Gordon Smith guitars, and another band, well, not necessarily the band, but Pete Shelley of the Buzzcocks, he was playing Gordon Smith guitar at that time, and he continued most of his career uh, playing uh, Gordon Smith guitars.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So that was um, where we had a bit of a link to the Buzzcocks in, in that, and quite a lot of um, you say pub rock. You mentioned previously a lot right. of pub rock bands. Uh, semi-professional musicians play Gordon Smith guitars because they're built for playing and don't cost anywhere near the money of a, a Fender or a Gibson, yeah. but um, will hold against one of those when you're actually playing it. So a lot of semi-professional musicians in the UK have been playing Gordon Smith guitars for years. But So that's what we were trying to do. We were trying to promote, basically, our friend's business on the uh, the single cover. But I've read several times that people think Gordon Smith was a member of the band.
0: Well, so for, for, for those who are listening, right, so what, what what we're talking about is on the back of the single, it shows um, yeah. members of the band and, you know, what they do. And then they have a, a an entry for Gordon Smith and underneath it says guitars and then in parentheses, but didn't play them. So it's like, it's, it's completely <laughs> confusing to, you Absolutely. know, to most people.
1: We did, we did play them and, and Gordon Smith is not a person. It was just, in right. fact, Gordon Smith is actually two people. It was Gordon Whittam and John Smith and their names put together, made Gordon Smith. It was, right. a, there is a hyphen in between. If you had to look at Gordon Smith guitar, it's Gordon hyphen Smith because it it was the two main men that formed the company that I made the that. guitar that we used
0: i love it i love it so much um you know it, it's even those...
1: the cover itself we we didn't like the cover itself and now look back and think it's quite iconic because i see people's record collections and you can spot ours straight away with that seatbelt on the cover
0: absolutely it's and, and simple um, and black and white right i mean it's just like
1: exactly. and and tim Llewellyn, who was the manager at the time said you know this is what because i think his degree was in graphic art or something like that and something he told me only about 10, 15 years ago when we met up with him, that he'd actually written Tim within the seatbelt. If you look at it very closely, if you've got the mm. original record, you can see Tim written in the seatbelt about four or five times. And I didn't even know he'd done that but because it, 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 it was pen and ink. Right. It, it was all hand done with pen and ink at the time. Uh, very, very primitive. i, I say it. none of us thought... It was right. I don't know what we would have had. I, cu- I couldn't tell you what we would have had. Perhaps mm-hmm. picture of kids dancing or something like that. I don't know. But Tim <laughs> was insistent that this is the cover that we're going to have. And I say now, looking back, it stands out a mile against other people's covers. But it doesn't. The, the kids just want to dance. Is just a, a title on the back.
0: Right. Right. Yeah. No. I. I think it's. You know. It's brilliant. And, and even if it's like a. It's like the brilliance that you only see after the fact it's still brilliant right
1: yeah yeah so say i i I do think that now but at that time when you're like a 20 year old lad we were just arguing with him all the time
0: right (laughs) yeah
1: tim was very old he was 25
0: oh yeah yeah.
1: I was the oldest at 20. Steve and Craig were 18. And Tony, who was our drummer at the time, was only 17. So we were a very young band. So
0: funny. Yeah, and, and trust me, I, I know how that goes. I, I, I attempted to be a manager once, and it didn't work very well for me. Um, <laughs> I just, I, I didn't have the constitution to do it, basically.
1: it, it did last with us for uh, over a year. And he got us some fantastic gigs. He was quite well connected in the Manchester City.
0: Okay, so that that's a perfect... Going into into the next part. But before we get into that, um, a, a couple of really quick things. So let, let's talk just briefly about the formation of the band. Um, right. And uh, the other thing I want to talk about when we talk about the formation is um, and I, I've dealt with a, a couple of, of people this way. What was it like being in a band with your brother? Because brothers tend to fight. Right. They, they tend to. Uh... So first of all, let's talk about the history. And then I want to talk a little bit about like the, the sibling thing and, and how that that kind of played out.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, it, it started, our Stephen and a, a, fr- a school friend who was who could play guitar reasonably well at the age of 14, a lad called Nick Bold, they decided they would put a band together. And they had another, our Stephen was going to be the original bass player. Mm-hmm. Um, but he really wanted to be Mick Jagger. So I said, tell you what, I'll buy a bass because I'd started working by then. I'll buy a bass. No idea how to play it or anything. Uh, so that's what I did. He could then be his Mick Jagger. Um, Nick was going to play guitar. And there was another lad from school who played drums. Not very well. Um, a typical school band. Um, mm-hmm. we, we used to play in uh, in front of the, uh, the assemblies and things like that. Originally. And then... Um, the drummer was, the original drummer was not particularly good, not keeping time or anything. He wasn't that interested. So mm-hmm. we played at a school, another school in the Swinton area, and Tony Dyson came along and said, I can play drums a lot better than that. And he was only like 13, 14 at the time. Wow. So we thought, oh, I'll have to listen to him. See what, say we were only 14 and to 16 ourselves anyway, but he was a year younger than our youngest. So we went along and saw him and he was excellent, really good. Um, so we asked him, did he want to play with us? And he said, yes. So he played with fast cars most of the time over most of the years. That's um, perhaps talk a bit more about that later on. I don't know, um, yeah. but that that's the initial start. And then you're saying about pub rock. Well, we were playing in pubs uh, in the UK and, um, and we were playing the, what was typical at that time, um, Chuck Berry covers mm-hmm. um, like Johnny B. Goode, simple song to get you started. We were, we were playing Johnny B. Goode, uh, substitute by the Who, Jumping Jack Flash, Rolling Stones, um, other songs along that kind of uh, pathway, and uh, we did that for about eighteen months. Mm-hmm. Then Nick. Uh, decided he wanted to be playing songs more like Led Zeppelin, etc. Although I like that kind of music, I don't think I was competent to own play that kind of style of music anyway. Which Nick was a very competent guitarist, so he went off and uh, formed his own band uh, that were called Virginia Wolf. And again, if you, you Google them, they were quite successful uh, in the mid eighties. Um, they had um, a million pound contract back in the day, which was a, a big deal at that time. And they oh, toured yeah. with Jimmy Page at, at the firm. So he got to play with his hero, etc. cetera. That's um, another lad that we knew from school who could play guitar was Craig Hilton. Mm-hmm. So um, as soon as Nick didn't want to play, we went and asked Craig. And again, he has played on most fast cars most all fast cars recorded music Uh, craig was our guitarist and unfortunately
0: we lost him to cancer early this year yeah i saw that my condolences that that's that's got to be a really hard thing especially as there's a resurgence happening with your music to to have that happen is like doubly Um, tragic
1: um
0: He's, he, luckily he's
1: been with us. He's, he's played in Japan. We've played in Europe, etc. Mm-hmm. And the last gig we actually did was uh, last February, um, where near where we live here, um, Pete Shelley was born, the guitarist from the Buzzcocks. Mm-hmm. And the, the town where he lived, I actually work in that town. It's called Lee in, in mm-hmm. Man- uh, Manchester area. Um, a group of people have got together to try and raise money to fund for a statue for Pete Shelley
0: mm-hmm. uh,
1: within the town of Lee. So they, they've had a few gigs, and the last one being last February, uh, where we played along with some other old Manchester bands, The Distractions, they were playing at the same time as us, The mm-hmm. Drones, uh, another old Man- one of the original Manchester punk bands, The Drones, although there's only one original member left in it. Mm-hmm. And uh, we, we played uh, a big hall holding quite a few hundred people uh, last february and that that was craig's last live performance and it, it was a sensational form at the time even though he'd had cancer then for about four years and he'd been having chemotherapy but um it, it stopped working unfortunately and he, he just slipped away
0: well that i mean but, that's a hell of a last gig um,
1: the, the last gig was, was actually videoed, and I think I've put a few um, recordings up on uh, YouTube or on my uh, mm-hmm. uh, Facebook pages so you can see how good he was right up until the end, basically. Wow. But uh, wow. we've still got irons in the fire. We still want his son. We talked about Tony Dyson, and I know it might be rambling a bit now, That's but one- Tony Dyson eventually um, his back was playing him up and he couldn't play anymore. Craig's son, Tony had actually shown, I think he had shown him the rudiments of drumming and um, it sold him one of his old drum kits. So young Rick was um, an up-and-coming drummer. So we got him to, I think he covered Tony originally and then he did so well. Tony said, I really can't play anymore because trying to play our music, which is quite fast Mm -hmm. when you get, you're in your late 50s as a drummer, it really (laughs) wasn't a good match. So um, Rick took over and Rick's played with us for all the gigs in the last five to six years. And when when I went to Craig's funeral, Rick came over and said he'd spoken to his dad and his dad wanted him to continue playing. And if he wants to still play with fast cars, then he had his blessing to continue to do so. So that's what's happening. And we've got a few ideas for guitarists. Uh, so hopefully uh, we'll be out and about when COVID allows us to um, right. re- rehearsing with a new guitarist and uh, it won't be the end of Fast Cars just yet.
0: I, I love that, man. I love it. I love it. And especially generationally, like, I mean, that that's a lot of fun, you know. Um, it's like when, you know, Jason Bonham joined, you know, like it, it's that that interesting well, sort of thing, right?
1: I've got a link there. Um, what are you saying about Jason Bonham? and he ended up playing with Led Zeppelin. I talked about Nick Bold, who mm-hmm. was our original guitarist, Stephen's best mate, and this, they formed the very first band back in school. Jason Bonham was the drummer in his band, Virginia Wolf. where I said they had that million-pound contract. Really? He toured the, supporting the firm, which was um, Paul Rogers on vocals, mm-hmm. Jimmy Page on guitar, and eight and other musicians. Jason Bonham was playing with Virginia Wolf with Nick.
0: That's really interesting. Yeah.
1: So, so, there's a link, there's lots and lots of links. Again, pre, you mentioned about the fall and the fast cars themselves have got quite a few links within uh, bands and, and Manchester music scene, et cetera.
0: So the perfect segue, because I wanted to talk about Manchester a little bit because it's it's it, it's sort of the city that never stops, right? So, you know, there've been yeah. multiple, multiple uh, uh, eras of, of, you know, the Manchester scene, right? Yeah. um, yeah. And it, it's really interesting to me because it, it's a very unique sound, right? I mean, it, it's every era obviously is a little bit different, right? So like when, when, you know, fast cars were were the most active, um, it was more of the and we're going to talk a little bit more about this later, but uh, for lack of a better term, poppy, punky, pub rock, right? I mean, there was a lot of that that yeah. was happening. But there was yeah, also yeah. like the factory record stuff, like you know Joy Division and and whatnot. Yeah. So it was a really yeah. interesting. But you could tell, at least I can, and maybe I'm just insane, but um, <laughs> y- you can you can kind of tell that Manchester sound. I mean, even even with Joy Division, oh. right? It, it's mm-hmm. there's a lot of uh um almost. Forgive me for saying this, but almost atonal oh. sounds that happen. Um, even oh. with even with some of the the you know like the the power pop. Stuff that was happening, like like fast cars. There's still like a, I, I can't really quantify it, but there's there's a definite sound where I can hear a band and I go, they're probably from Manchester,
1: right? Okay, again, for somebody like yourself living thousands of miles from Manchester, it's probably easier than me being stuck right in the middle of everything. Um, so we we, we wanted to sound like Eddie and the Hot Rods, which were from London, so, right. but whether that makes I don't know. I don't know.
0: Yeah, I
1: mean, um, this is Joy Division were not our scene whatsoever, and we right. didn't get on with Joy Division at all.
0: Yeah, obviously I'm going to talk about that a little bit because I, I another piece of information that I came across as I was you know, doing some last-minute research, um, how, how they were recording Unknown Pleasures while you were recording at the same time. Um, yes. Which is very, very interesting, right? Because I can't think of, of two bands that, that probably sound different.
1: I, again, it, it was down to studio time. And I said, our manager, Tim Llewellyn, at the time was quite well-connected in, in the, the Manchester scene. So he had friends within Factory Records, within Rabid Records, which were, I think, the original band uh, was Slaughter and the Dogs. So Tim used to book bands for Rabid, and I think he did for... Um, he got gigs for Joy Division for uh, Definite. H- hence, I have a poster... I don't know if you've seen that on your research, where it was us, Joy Division, and uh, Ed Banger playing a gig in 1978. And we didn't get on with Joy Division at all. (laughs) In fact, the nicest person in them was Ian Curtis. Uh, The two lads that came locally to us uh, came across as being... Very argumentative and arrogant, etc., which is Peter Hook and Bernard Sumner, that we just right. could not get on with them. So, how it came about that we were recording at the same time, um, mm-hmm. I think Raybid Records were, were paying for Joy Division and um, hired Strawberry Studios, which was like the biggest studio in the in Manchester area.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So, we were basically pinching time. It, the, the studio had been blocked, booked for Joy Division to do their album, but when they finished early evening, we went in at something like 7 o'clock, working through till midnight on a couple of days, mm-hmm. um, working again for Ravid Records, and it was one of our songs, Images of You. And I think the other track was uh, Tameside Girls that were both quite popular at the time. Uh, so we were putting those down as a, uh, to be a record for... Um, Ravid Records and the main, one of the main people in Ravid Records at that time uh, did all their stuff was Martin Hannett. The Martin Hannett was producing that uh, Unknown Pleasures album, so that's how come both bands sounded totally different. were in the studio at the same time. I've managed to get an old cassette of uh, images of you that Martin Hannett did, and you can hear his experiments, experimental stuff with echoes, etc. But where Joy Division are quite spacious with their music and ours is all like up-tempo bang, it didn't really work, so it never, ever got released. But so, Martin uh, was more experimental. It, it suited what Joy Division were trying to do, and we were trying to be the next pop stars. It didn't work for us at all. So it, Hence, it's... Most, most oh. of the demos we did was produced by <clears throat> my brother, and Craig the guitarist and singer they produced all our uh, demos in those days because they knew what sound they wanted <clears throat> and we just had an engineer who operated the equipment but all their ideas came forward we never had anybody to advise us or anything like that yeah. we just so- <clears throat> rode by the seat of our pants basically
0: see but that's that's where some of the best music in the world comes from is is like you have no idea what you're doing in the studio you just like go in and you just play and you know a masterpiece comes out right of course you don't know it's a masterpiece at the time (laughs) it's no
1: no. again uh, you go back and you've you mentioned about our single and i can't believe how popular it is across the world back in the day we were not happy with the finished product we did like the song but it was all a bit rushed at the time to release the single Mm -hmm. because it needed to be done at that time because everybody were releasing records, et cetera, et cetera, and we didn't want to miss the the bandwagon. So it was all a bit rushed. Mm -hmm. And for some reason, the UK pressing plants were all busy, so it was sent to France. We always reckon that when it came back and we heard that, first time we heard the kids just want to dance play back, it sounded too fast we don't remember actually playing it that fast uh, which pushed our stevens vocals up a bit higher etc so mm-hmm. we were never ever happy with it back in the 70s right um it,
0: it's funny i i just had a guest on a, a couple we of weeks sorry it's i didn't mean to talk over there
1: yeah, sorry Thou- thousands of other people um actually think it's a, it's good but we would have preferred it to be slightly slower. Uh, perhaps how we actually play it live. It, you know, we can't play at those kind of speeds anyway. Um, but we, we were never happy with the finished product. We weren't happy with the cover. We weren't happy with the recording. And um, it, It's been very, very, very successful for us at the end of the day. For something I, that we weren't really happy about.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I love this stuff what because... I, I had a guest on a couple of weeks ago who had a very similar experience where um they got the the their pressing back, and it was like, you know, twenty percent faster than you know how they recorded it. And then from then on out, they've been stuck playing the song at that speed because if they slow it down to how it used to be, people are like, "What is this shit? Like this is not this isn't the song."
1: <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's again, we naturally we can't play it as fast as we did when we were twenty anyway. But uh, what we used to do back in the day, and a lot of people did, we used to put a penny on um, the record player to slow it down. <laughs>
0: Absolutely. And I, I still do that. <laughs> in,
1: it sounded like how we remember recording it and, and not uh, the, the speed. Again, there was nothing sophisticated, was there, in those days to, uh, to to change your speed or accept or anything. So the penny right. slowing it down, we thought that's how it should sound. So we were never really happy with it. At all, but as I say lots of people have been happy with it, which is
0: absolutely fantastic. Absolutely, absolutely. I have a little rock that I picked up on the beach that I put on my my turnstile, right? Or my my turn. Yeah. I'm sorry, on the, the whatever you call it. I, I can't think right yeah, now.
1: Exactly. <laughs> I just couldn't think of it myself. That's why I said on the record player, the stylus. Yeah.
0: The stylus. There you go. Thank you. Um. <laughs> Yeah, I told you
1: I'm um, getting old. I can't remember everything. <laughs> oh Jesus,
0: dude, we're we're all getting old. We're all getting really old, and that, that's why talking about the stuff from like 40 years ago is is, is uh, I think it's really important because um, as we do get older, I mean not to be you know dark, but as we get older, we're going to forget more and more of these things. So
1: I know that that's disturbing. That really does because yeah. I live a lot of memories, as you can guess, uh, and to be losing those, it's going to be really difficult.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, sometimes I what I found is is simply just talking, and I'll, I'll I won't have any recollection of something, and then if I start talking about it, then slowly some of those memories will will come back. Yeah. Um. But yeah, it's it's very frustrating. I mean, it's super frustrating. Um. <laughs> but anyway, before we get too dark on that stuff, um, <laughs> oh, so. Yeah. Sure. Still got a few years
1: left, hopefully.
0: Yeah, hopefully, hopefully. Knock on I don't I don't have any wood near me, but whatever. Knock on, Knock on something. Yeah, yeah, exactly.
1: Table.
0: <laughs> um so as, as a as a, a relatively short lived band, at least in the original, you know, um incarnation, yeah. um, you guys played a a a fair amount of shows, you know, in, in like a, a you know, a two year existence, right?
1: Yes, I did. yeah, yeah. We were playing two and three times a week sometimes. That's excellent. Um, wherever we could get on, we played. And um, we managed to get, as you've probably seen on our history, managed to get some good support acts as well. Uh, you know, we, play, we supported some of the big bands of the day.
0: Yeah. So, what, one that actually caught me a little bit by surprise, and, and there's not a whole lot of info about it, um, at least not that I could find, is um, you guys played with XTC, which would have been like as they were just, I mean, they were basically babies at the time right
1: yeah
0: um and at first i thought like that's a really weird pairing right i mean that's yeah. originally but then i forgot that in 1970 in the 19 late 1970s they were a different band they sounded entirely different than they do now right or at least
1: yes yeah they, they, they were quite experimental um but Back in those days, they used to mix all sorts. You'd play a. There's a club um, they call the Russell Club in in, uh, in Manchester that um, also goes under the name of the Factory. It was the forerunner to Factory Records. They used to have what they called the Factory Night at the Russell mm-hmm. Club, and they put all sorts of different people on. So we actually supported uh, Dillinger, um, mm-hmm. Jamaican reggae artist. So totally. Mixture all the time. We actually thought we were supporting Rick Derringer, the American rocker, and it turned That's out hysterical. that it was Dillinger. Uh, and again, didn't know who he was at that time, but he, he's um, famously mentioned in the um, what was it? Um, one of the uh, Clash song where they talk about Dillinger. Um,
0: That's awesome.
1: Hammersmith. White. Oh, again, cut that bit <laughs> out. <I can't> <laughs>
0: Yeah, so it it's funny because I, there's been a lot of comparisons between uh Manchester and and Seattle. Obviously the the sounds are radically different. Um but you 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 mentioned something that I found really interesting is you didn't and still can't really hear that that Manchester sound because you're in it and have been in it yeah. for, you know, your life. Um yeah, exactly. I'm very much Yeah, I'm very much the same way with Seattle. Like I I don't hear the commonalities between the bands at all. Like just they're t- they're radically different as far as I'm concerned.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: But if I talk to like for you example for example right and say like hey I'm going to mention like you know three or four bands from Seattle and you'll be like oh yeah they're from Seattle like you know it's it's obvious, um, but it's completely not to me at all. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and in fact, um, not to delve too deep into this, but it kind of gets back to what you were talking about before with the, the you know the Manchester sound. Um, and, and like the, the perception of what that sound is, um, a lot of the bands that people talk about now from Seattle, I consider to be heavy metal bands, right? right? And they were, I mean, as far as I'm concerned, they, they were at, at some point, you know, they, they morphed, but, um, they were definitely more metal than anything else. It's certainly not punk and it wasn't what, what has become known as grunge, you know, it was just... It was metal music. Right. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And well uh,
1: sometimes it it, it uh, you your music morphs into um the the scene around you. Um so you, you, being a metal band, but you tra you, you influences, etc. And you, you want to play to people, so you, you adjust your sound accordingly and perhaps Metal wasn't working, so they adjust the sound and they become grunge. I'm guessing, but that's the kind of thing we did really. Because originally we wanted to be uh, big rock stars like Jimmy Page and uh, Robert Plant, that kind of thing. Uh, and we ended up being nothing like that. Um, because what was driving us, we still wanted to play our own music to people. And we adjusted to make sure that we, we, we fitted it into that kind of scene. So,
0: yeah that's that's my thoughts yeah it's it's uh yeah it's really interesting the way that the music goes and and i think part of it too is is um getting a little bit older and, and possibly a little more quote talented right um and as you do that of course you want to stretch out you know try different styles of music and and you know experiments a yeah. little bit more and whatnot and that's going to change your sound Yes, yeah.
1: Again, what we started off talking uh, about—the tapes we did for uh, Polydor Records in it was September nineteen eighty. You can hear if you you listen to that the the change of our sound then. Uh, uh, Craig's—he was a rock guitarist, Um, Mm -hmm. you know, idol of like uh, Richie Blackmore or something like that, and he he could mimic all Richard Blackmore's top solos for Purple, etc., etc. But he was changing as a, realizing you can't stick massive big guitar solos into everything, and changing his style, etc. And on that, he, there's a lot more melodic chords, melodic playing, which became synonymous, really, with the uh, the next Manchester scene, which was the Manchester scene, uh, right. guitar playing like uh, Stone Roses. I've been right. is that kind of uh, jangly sound uh, Johnny Marr, the Smiths. His his guitar was becoming to sound like that in in 80 before the others, um, they were probably still at school at that time. We were were a bit older than those. Um, So if if we were allowed to continue, who knows what we would have changed into. One of the reasons we did split up at the time was London in in England really in those days before the big Manchester explosion Ruled everything. If you weren't part of the London scene, then you, you were nothing. And the London scene at that time were changing. The new bands were like Culture Club, Spandau Ballet, Duran right. Duran, which right. was what they were calling over here um, the new the new new wave. Um, we weren't. <coughs> excuse me. We we didn't sound like any of that. We didn't want to go down the uh, theatrical route that those bands were very, very theatrical. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's how we ended up splitting up. If we'd stayed stuck together, we, we probably could have come through on the that Manchester scene that came through in the late 80s because people that were in the same position as us, like uh, Mick Hucknall, who formed Simply Red in the mid-80s, he was playing in bands similar to us, uh, just playing the same venues as us back at the time, but he stuck at it. And eventually his time came and he ended up being a a worldwide star. Uh, We just didn't do that.
0: Right. Well, I mean, you know, I I like to believe there's a reason for stuff like that. And, you know, maybe it's time for, uh, for your star to shine now. Right. (laughs) Like, um...
1: I I think the last 20 years, the last 20 years has has been amazing. Um, I have, I came about, I, I was on a college course for work and part of um, – uh, the, the, I had to get information from the internet. i never used the internet before at that time. We're talking 1999, 2000. Mm-hmm. So I did the work that was necessary that I had to do. And I was sat in the, uh, the library at the university, a bit bored, and I typed in the kids just want to dance, thinking I'd get no results. Mm-hmm. And I actually got 11 results, and one of them turned out to be um, – uh, an album that was put, put out in Germany in 1994. So even that was a few years before i discovered it.
0: Well,
1: mm-hmm. um, so back to front four. And from then, that's when I started. Well, that's strange. And I contacted this company in Germany. And they told me that we were really popular in Japan. So I thought,
0: mm, hmm,
1: that's a strange one. How, how's that ha- happened? And so how can I contact Japanese people? I can't speak the language. I can't read. So... A a colleague at work said, "Why don't you set up a website?" So Mm -hmm. that's what I did, and from that, that brought us all back to life again. We got offered what you mentioned before about playing in Tokyo in two thousand and one. That came through from our website, being asked, you know, they found we do still existed. uh, Do we want to play in Tokyo? So we went out there. Detour Records contacted us and asked us if we had enough demos. put an album out for us um and we managed to get demos together and that happened and then from then on our music's then out back into the more into the world now not just around the greater manchester area or various places around the uk we were now worldwide Mm -hmm. and it's just it's been absolutely fascinating like talking to somebody like yourself thousands of miles away from here this would never have happened without the internet True. And, you know, about my band, you know, uh, across the world, it's, it's just, um, you know, I'm still gobsmacked by it all.
0: <laughs> it, it is, it is pretty amazing, Um you know, but, but there's also like the, the, the capability to, to find false information, like, you know, the, the, uh, I think it's called Pride of Manchester is the name of the, the website that, that had the, the, uh, the info about uh, the sirens becoming the fall, right? So it, it's, it's incorrect but it's kind yeah. of correct and so there's there's yeah, a, a danger explain, in that
1: a bit about how the sirens became the fall do you want me to and how yeah. steven became part of the sirens but i say we, we were more into rock music but steven had heard the sex pistols and there was um a pub in manchester um that were playing the likes of generation x the adverts slots from the dogs for our local ones the buscocks were all playing, and he was going down there every week watching all these different types of bands. And he really wanted to get into that scene. So there, there was a particular music shop in Manchester City Centre that everybody used to hang around on a Saturday afternoon. It's a bit like you see in um, Wayne's World, they are no playing uh, Stairway to Heaven, etc. Right. Everybody were there playing their own versions of Stairway to Heaven, etc. So So um, there was an ad. He saw an ad in the window uh, for a singer once it. Um, so he applied and it was Mark Riley who became Mm -hmm. part of The Fall it was his band The Sirens and there was him Stephen Hanley and Craig Scanlon, they were the the three main ones and The Sirens used to rehearse in this rehearsal rooms in Manchester and The Fall did as well and Mark got roadie in for The Fall, that's how he started getting in And then our Stephen decided to leave the Sirens and form with me to put Fast Cars together. The Sirens continued for a bit with a female singer called Julie. And I can't remember a a surname or anything, but they continued for a a bit. Then they changed the name to um, Section 9, I think, or something like that. Hmm. Um, And... because of the, the nature of Mark E. Smith, musicians were leaving the fall all the time. So once Mark had got in on, I think he originally joined the fall on bass, having been a roadie, it, his face was known. It became the bass player, I think, when the original bass player left. So as time passed, um, Craig Scanlon joined on guitar Mark changed the guitar and Steve Hanley went on to bass and that they'd come out of the, the sirens and then they were that part of the fall. And Paul Hanley and Steve uh, and Craig Scanlon were with the fall for many years. I think Mark Riley had a big bust up uh, with Markie Smith, so he left quite early doors. But he ended up working for the BBC in the UK as a, as a DJ. So he's wow. still quite a famous character over here. He he was on Radio 1, and then um, he's still currently... There's um, a more alternative show uh, radio station called BBC Radio 6, and Mark still has a show on that to this day. Wow. And he was um, the the guitarist in the original Sirens with our Stephen singing. So, yes, it is integrated into the fall, and that's how, how it all came about. But it wasn't that the Sirens became the fall just various musicians Mm -hmm. joined the 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 fall were always marquee Smith with, I think he's had about a hundred musicians. If you look (laughs) at their history, Um, probably he used to just fall out with them and sack them. He he was an odd character. I never actually spoke to him, but we saw him around the rehearsal rooms and he was an odd character. He's not the kind of person that I would want to talk to. So
0: we
1: just left him to it.
0: That's, that's what I've heard. Um, yeah there are a few very problematic humans around um and when oh, you mentioned absolutely. when you mentioned and i never
1: really understood their music at all it's they sounded more of a racket than anything but yeah. they've got lots of fans. so it's d- different people hear different things don't
0: they yeah absolutely absolutely and it's funny you mentioned that so going back to to another band from from that era or at least a person from that era um so bernard summer um you know, with, uh, uh, oh my God, I can't believe I just forgot the name of the band blue new order. Sorry. So, um, yeah. I I'd forgotten how badly out of tune that man sings. Like it, it's so bad. And when I was a teenager, I was like, oh, this is awesome. And the older yeah. I get, the more I listen to him. I'm like, he can't hold a note to save his life. Like it's so out of tune again. The, both Joy Division
1: and um, New Order were not my cup of tea at all. Um, Ian Curtis was the nicest person to say in, in Joy Division. Unfortunately, took his own life. Right. But when we were in, in Strawberry Studios, there was a pool table in the basement, and he would play pool with us, and the other two would, would have nothing to do with us at all. And their drummer uh, couldn't um, keep in time to save his life. And right. a lot of new roll stuff is drum machines etc. Because um, I think even on uh, there's two versions of um, "Love Will Tear Us Apart," and the one with the original drumming, he used to just do drum rolls around the kit over and over again. And I think Hannett took that away from him, and the the he was more working with a, a a click track or something like that because his timing was atrocious. I thought anyway.
0: Yeah, going back and listening to Joy Division again, it sounds like there are four people playing four different songs.
1: Yeah. The, <laughs> again, as musicians, they weren't very good. And I said earlier on that we wanted to be the best musicians we could. Mm-hmm. They were into that. We 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 studied and like Craig was it was a natural, he just had to listen to something and he could play it straight away. I was studying scales and major scale minor scale etc etc so I understood what i was trying to do even mm-hmm. if i couldn't do it i, I, I had an idea where peter Hoke used to have all the notes
0: written on his guitar <laughs> that, that's incredible <laughs> it doesn't surprise I, me at I all
1: never even, in some respects you think that's genius that because i never thought of doing that right. so it, it uh, like little dots all over, so all the A's were marked out, all the B's were marked out, etc. etc. So, somebody shouts, something at me, just look at his guitar and press it.
0: So, actually, that makes a lot of sense because every video I I've seen, especially from that time never period,
1: even that. never even thought of that. But you know, trying to be the best musician I could, I'm, I'm bloody studying, and uh, their sound is like people say it was the, the, the greatest thing around but at the time being involved in it all it just thought they were a bunch of guys who couldn't play properly
0: so <laughs> it it's, seemed to us sometimes life is not fair right um <laughs> I, I i think with them and last thing on, on joy division i think the thing with them was they had a a sort of fuck you attitude right i mean everything about them was basically just like nope we're doing this thing we're going to be quirky and weird yeah. and that is our thing and fuck you if you don't like it um,
1: exactly and then we, we didn't go that way at all so we want more really wanted to be pop stars more than anything uh right. i don't know what they wanted to do
0: <laughs> turn into new order is what they wanted to do i think um that was flippant but i i think there there is some truth to that Right, I, I think that, that
1: you listen to the, the big hits of, of of New Order and they're real pop songs.
0: Yeah. Oh yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, real I think pop songs. Nothing, nothing like what they were as jo- The the early New Order was very much Joy Division without Ian Curtis. Right. But the later on, it was very produced and very poppy. Yeah. Disco music. A doubt. Um, how it evolved to that, I really don't know. Anyway, it's no, nothing I... to do with me. <laughs> that's
0: right. That's right.
1: I'm, I'm fast cars. <laughs>
0: All right. So let, let's, let's get back to fast cars, which is the whole reason we're talking here. And, and uh, we're, we're pretty close to wrapping up here. But um, let's talk a little bit about um, what you're currently doing and and uh, what the future holds. Like, what are you guys work, working on right now?
1: Right now, due to COVID in the UK, we're doing absolutely nothing as <laughs> right. such. And... With the, the loss of our guitarist in in January, uh, we've not done anything. But um, we're promoting the uh, the new disc that has come out from Detour Records, and say from our 1980 tape. So I've been doing a lot of uh, promotion of that. Um, but as I mentioned earlier that we played the Pete Shelley memorial gig last February. There should have been a follow up in July. But with the COVID restrictions, it had been Mm cancelled. That's going ahead next February. Up to now, we're the headline band. Uh, So we've got to get our act together to play that. Um, So as I say, I don't want to mention names as yet. Sure. But there's a few interested parties that want to play guitar for us. So uh, that's going to be interesting in itself. um, Because as I say, Craig played with us for more or less the 40 years. Mm Mm-hmm he was very influential in the studios of what sounds and etc. etc. So it's going to be very, very hard to replace, but what we're doing now, we, we're just basically playing our historical song. So if somebody can listen to Craig's guitar and then go, this is it and play mm. it, they don't have to invent it. Right. All they have to do is replicate it, which is a lot easier than being the person who invented it in the first place. Somebody replicating it is a lot easier. So hopefully we'll be able to get something that can replicate some of Craig's sound uh, to keep us going, because we won't be uh, writing new songs. Nobody would be interested. They all want to hear the kids just want to dance or Images of You or Please, Please, all the songs that we've been playing for the last 40 years. That's what people still want. Uh, we love entertaining, so that's exactly what we'll go out and do.
0: That, that's actually a very refreshing Attitude because a lot of, of people that I, I talk to, musicians, um, are loath to play the, the songs that the audience actually wants to hear. And and I understand it. But yeah, yeah. Uh, but it's, a, it's supposed to be the entertainment business
1: stuff. So they want to be entertained. You should be playing what they want, really, mm-hmm. and not what you want. Having, say, so we, we had two albums out. The, the original one, uh, Coming Ready or Not, was more or less our, our old set. Um, Some of it were the original tapes. But I said earlier on that um, Detour Records said, um, if you've got enough old demos, we'll put an album out for you. In -hmm. truth, we didn't. Some of the demos weren't up to speed. Some of the tapes that we'd paid for over the years had got lost. Mm -hmm. So we took a chance. He does know this now. And I I have mentioned it in interviews previously that uh, we booked a local studio. We hadn't played together for 10 years. Uh, but mm-hmm. we booked a local studio and we went through all the songs that we could remember. <laughs> Some of them are not quite accurate, <laughs> <laughs> right? <laughs> in hindsight, but um, we put them all down. And when Steve was like, as I say, eighteen when he sang these songs, he's now forty-something at this time in uh, two thousand and one. Mm-hmm. We play it back, and he sounded exactly the same, which was amazing in itself. That's great. That he still sounded like his eighteen-year-old self singing the same songs that we'd always done. So we sent them off to Detail and he loved it and that we mm-hmm. eventually have admitted. But if you listen to Coming Ready or not, it's hard to tell which are the 1978, 79 recorded songs and which are the 2001 songs. And I, I'd never tell people which one was which, but if you listen to that album, I don't know if you have, it, you can't tell that some of them have recorded 20 years later. I, and that, That's awesome. The, the new This new album, same new, the 40-year-old recordings, there was Sophisticated Lady that we'd completely forgotten about. There was a song called Marching Us to War that we've played years and years, but we actually changed the arrangement over the years. This one still has the original arrangement on it, which was more like uh, being the jam rather than uh, we, we cut bits out uh, when we re-recorded it. But you, you forget about these things, and there's another one, Way of the World. We re-recorded that for the second album because we could remember the song basically, but we never ever thought we'd get these Polydor tapes. So we're now listening to them. It's like, oh, I don't remember that. I, I can't remember playing that, etc. But it's right. just just fascinating.
0: It is. It is. I mean, one's own personal history is is a, a fascinating thing. You know, like I love learning things about myself right things that i've forgotten all about it's fascinating um
1: well i I found things out about the band that i didn't know that i didn't remember that all the people remembered and say particularly the early days of the website this is where i'm saying i got dates from people say oh i saw you at this place that place i don't remember playing that this or that place (laughs) um like say you you learn things about yourself that you you didn't even know and Yeah. uh, yeah great absolutely great
0: Okay, so this is a perfect, perfect segue. So we're about to wrap up here, Stuart, but um, I have two questions that I ask everyone, um, and both are questions that nobody wants to answer, which is why I asked the questions. (laughs) So the first one, and this is a question any music lover hates. Go What is your favorite band?
1: Again, that's changed. At one time, I'd probably say Deep Purple, you know, from... Mm. 15, 16, 17 year old me thinking Richie Blackmore was the greatest thing since sliced bread. Mm-hmm. Now I don't really have a favourite band. I, I, I tend, I've got an iPod and it, again that's now become old school and it's got about 10,000 songs on it and I've got all sorts of different things from jazz, blues, rock and roll, rock, classical, whatever comes up. I've put it on there so I like it. It just, I, I just like, listening to music, lots and lots of different music. Mm-hmm. I've not really got involved with any modern stuff. I, I, still, I still like the fast car sound and what we were trying to attain. So if the modern bands still play in that kind of genre, then yes. Green Day, for example, um, mm-hmm. they are quite like them. I know it's they're not modern anymore, but um, they were sort of replicating what we were doing 20 years previously. Uh, So I haven't got a particularly favorite band at all anymore.
0: So I want to touch on that very briefly because I still think of of Green Day as being a new band, but they're actually 30 years old.
1: Exactly. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. It's only been about realizing they're not a new band anymore. Well, there is a story, if I can say, even about Green Day. Um, I've been searching the Internet for the last 20 years since I made my website and finding information. And I came across a cover version of uh, The Kids Just Want to Dance by a young American band called Emily's Army. Oh, okay. So I contacted them through through the websites or whatever. And um, they actually told me that Billy Joe Armstrong had actually introduced them to The Kids Just Want to Dance and told them to play it which was absolutely amazing to think that somebody who has ended up as a big rock star was saying, and in, in Emily's Army, they're now called swimmers, the drummer is his son, one of, one of his oh. sons, I think it's two or three sons. The drummer in um, Emily's Army was Billy Joe's son. Oh, that's so awesome. Billy Joe, uh, this, this song, Kids Want to Dance, Kids Just Want to Dance by Fast Cars, Have a listened to this, have a go at playing it and they ended up playing it on an album so i love it i love it to, to it, think that somebody is say you look at him he's on a pedestal compared to us you think and he's heard of our band our little band from manchester england that, i love it that's amazing. that amazes me
0: you you've heard their cover of of um uh oh my god it just totally the 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 only one song another girl another planet right you've heard you've yeah. heard their cover of it
1: yeah, again, we, we, we've we done a cover of that. Um, what what we did when we started playing more regularly, probably about 10, 15 years ago, rather than just say, these are all our old songs that we played from the 70s, we, we started playing a few others. So we, we always did uh, Teenage Kicks. We always mm-hmm. did um, Ever Fallen In Love. We mm-hmm. do... Um, London Calling, The Clash, mm-hmm. in the city, The Jam, and we actually did uh, Another Girl, Another Planet, the the only ones. We, 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 so we, we put those within our set. So we're saying basically, these are our songs, but these are the songs that were around us, probably influenced us, etc. Uh, yeah, sure. And this is this scene we're from. You know, yeah, we're I- not arrogant enough to say. This is our set from the 1970s, listen to it, kind of thing. We would we not like that at all. We introduce people to like the only ones, the jam, the clash, et cetera, um, right. through our sets.
0: Yeah, I, I read somewhere that, uh, and no idea if it's true or not, but I, I think it probably is close to being true, is that um, Another Girl, Another Planet is one of, if not the most covered song. Um, Particularly, so it's got
1: a great guitar solo. again, because we, we were musicians, we wanted to play guitar solos, and a lot of uh, the music of that day didn't really have very good guitar solos there. Yeah. so, another girl on another planet with that great guitar playing in it was yeah, just absolutely.
0: superb. Okay, I, I said I only had one more question, but I, I have two more. So, really quickly, <laughs> um, as you've been talking, I've been thinking of, of uh, the automatics. Did, did you ever play with them? Do you know anything about them? No. No, oh, okay. I don't. So when you were I'm talking about, know
1: them, but, uh, I don't, I don't know them.
0: Okay. Um, I actually, I really love them and, and a lot of people don't know a whole lot about them, but there's a, a really interesting story about them. Um, and I think it was, I think it was 1980. Um, yeah, it was 1980. Um, they were up to, to be signed to Island and instead. In fact you know everything was all set up they were they were ready to go you know that the contract was was ready not signed but ready um and then island got cold feet at the last minute and they signed u2 instead so if you think about that like how different music would have been if instead of signing u2 you know the automatics were were there because they they were in sort of the um the same general genre i guess is is like what fast cars were right yeah um yeah how interesting and how different music would be now if yeah that had happened you know
1: absolutely again um our steve if he was here speaking he, he would say that at the time he didn't think many bands were better than us and he went to see you too and he said that they were class apart but hmm. um I don't know. Some of the songs are excellent. Some of the songs are not. But yeah, listen, I mean, the- you know, of all the bands, you two were the best from our sort of era because the same age as us, and they were playing the same venues because they'd come over. They were playing in Manchester. They'd come over from Ireland, and they were, they were playing the same kind of clubs that we were playing. Um, you'd see their name on the, you know, lists um, at the same time we were playing, but they just weren't famous then.
0: It's amazing.
1: So they, they stuck at it. They stuck at it for uh, where the likes of us and many others split up at that time.
0: Yeah, I mean, I don't know if it's still true, but but up until at least four or five years ago, they had, um, I think it was two of the top selling tours of all time, which is amazing, right. you know, for for a bunch of lads from from Dublin, right? Yeah, <laughs> it's yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Wow. Okay. You know, crazy shit. Um, all right, Stuart, I've got one last question for you and then we're we're you know we're just over an hour here so um this is a question nobody likes to answer at all um <laughs> which is why i save it to the very end what is something about you for the band whatever you can answer it however you want um that nobody would know
1: oh i don't know
0: <laughs> everyone has the same reaction to that question
1: yeah yeah I, again i've put lots of things about us on the on my website so the information's out there if you want them to look at it. No, um, no, no. I, I
0: want something that that possibly you haven't written down, or if you have it, it's it's you know kind of random.
1: Um, that I had red hair when I was a young boy, <laughs> which I <laughs> haven't now. I'm darker.
0: And, and is that a natural thing, or do you dye your? I, I mean, you don't have to answer that, but um I obviously dye my hair.
1: Again, that is something I get asked a lot of times. Or my wife gets asked, does your Stuart die his hair? No, I don't. I'm 63 years of age and my hair is still dark. If, if you were right next to me, you probably could see there is grey hairs amongst it, but <laughs> I've been very, very lucky in that respect. I see people 10, 15 years younger than me uh, that are either bald or completely grey, and my hair colour has, has lasted.
0: That's so um, good
1: genes, man. It must be, it must be, yeah. Yeah,
0: very good genes. I'm, I'm, I'm about uh, what 13, 13 years younger than you, and and uh, my hair is completely white if I don't dye it. So, um, so when I dye it, I go crazy, like bright red, right? I mean, like any color other than normal.
1: Yeah, I think that's the way to go, would not it? Yeah. If if
0: you've lost your uncle do that, but
1: I say my mine is what it is. Um, never touched it or anything.
0: I love it. I love it. Hey, Stuart, I'm, let, let's wrap this up. Stay on just for a minute after we after we cut off. But um, yeah. other than that, hey, it was excellent talking to you. Like, um, And I think there's a lot more we could probably dive into. So you know, I'll probably have you back yeah, on at some point. Did.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Perhaps a, a st- more structured one way, if you want to send me some uh, questions, we could do yeah. a more structured thing. I don't
0: know. Definitely. That's up to you. I don't like structure, man. I, I like to just do random. Um, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. But, but we, because you probably gathered it already, I can drift off here, there, and everywhere. So <laughs> I love we, it. We might have, you might have been wanting to cover, I might have gone off on a tangent, and we've not covered what you've really wanted to. see nope, So when think... you look at what you've got and put it back, you might think, oh, I never asked him this. Never. I, I'm, I'm always um, up for for things like this anyway. So you can always get back in touch with me. And That's now awesome. we know how easy to do exactly uh, you know never thought i could speak to somebody on the other side of the united states from my uh, little living room in uh in manchester it's so, amazing how that works
0: all right Absolutely, so stay, on, stay yeah. on just a minute um thank right. you so much for, for coming on and uh Thanks. we'll talk Thanks we'll talk to again you. very soon all right cheers man
1: okay thank you
0: cheers